All right, so we're, we've made it to the fifth out of six of these um, transforming the analytical mind sessions. And that means that we're almost transformed, um, but we have a little bit more to do. So I, um, I wanted to start actually by uh, any comments with, as usual, any comments or questions from last time, or if you happen to engage with the homework or just any of the material. Um, I'm just looking at the list from last time. The suggestions were to practice clear comprehension in daily life. So like knowing that you're eating while you eat and showering while you shower and maybe even talking while you talk. And then also um, looking at anicca or the changing nature of uh, phenomena in meditation. Anyone have any questions or comments on any of that? Jane. Um, I guess, Kim, I'm, you know, things that we do automatically that are tuned into our muscle movement, like walking or eating. So is being mindful, taking a step back and being really conscious of it, you almost get this awe of like a child seeing a flower. And I, um, I'm, I'm trying to understand whether things that we take for granted when we're more mindful of it um, does it bring us more joy or uh, does it calm our mind from the other things that we might be engaged in well um, mindfulness at least at the kind of basic level is to pay attention in a conscious way um, and so yeah to kind of know that you know know be aware of that it can take the form of noticing uh, the feeling of the body as you do it or what's happening in the mind or even just a very simple knowing of what's occurring. So with that in mind, I'm curious what you discovered in using it. What what effect did you find? Um, well, you, you just become aware of things like even walking um, and your footsteps that mm -hmm. you kind of would do unconsciously because you're in automatic mode, probably thinking about something else and rushing to your next appointment. And just, yeah. you know, so it, it, it um, focuses your mind a little from those running thoughts. That's a nice way to say it. Um, sometimes people say that the mind and the body come to being in the same place whereas sometimes they're not when we're just doing things habitually. It can also provide information about, um, you know, about the way we're doing these habitual things. The typical examples the teachers often get are washing the dishes or brushing your teeth. You mentioned walking, of course. Um, things that we routinely do and don't really need to think about. We don't want to be thinking about them with mindfulness, but when we bring them to awareness, we might notice that we're um, typically sort of rushed or busy, like you've commented. And so then there's a, there's a push in the mind. And so we're conditioning ourselves all the time. And if we're conditioning ourselves with push or with irritation or with boredom or something, just because we're not noticing, uh, that's actually not that helpful for us. You know, we, did, we don't have to have that attitude while we're doing things. Mm -hmm. So sometimes paying attention helps us realize um, when we're bringing some of those unskillful attitudes and then naturally the mind will want to be more skillful because it's not that pleasant to be hanging around in boredom or irritation. 
And sometimes it has, you know, the effect that you also mentioned is we can have a sort of a simple joy or a curiosity about it. I mean, it's amazing what, what we can do um, even when we're not noticing. It's a very complex movement to walk. Have you ever really paid attention to like how the foot lifts and moves and places and the leg swings and there's a shift of weight? Uh, it's incredibly uh, beautiful, actually. And we don't even, we take it totally for granted if we're able to walk. Of course, as soon as we get injured and can't walk, then we realize what a gift and a beautiful thing it is. Uh, so there's so many benefits from paying attention and it's even you know, more than the ones we've named, but even that's good, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, I think what I really, <clears throat> which what's really good for me about it is um, how gratitude arises so often from the, the everyday mindfulness of little things. Um, yeah. Brings me real gratitude about, oh yeah, you know, I live here, I can do this or I can do that or I have choices. And, um, and so it's a lot of good, wholesome and positive attitudes and feelings arise through the everyday mindfulness, I find. Yeah. That's great. And we never, it's not like this is some beginner basic practice that we don't have to do anymore after, you know, a few years of it or something. Um, it's, it'll be with us the whole time and it just sort of grows and changes over time. So yeah, everyday mindfulness is wonderful and, and can be quite profound. Roman. Um, yeah, at the beginning of the week, I found the term clear comprehension to be really beneficial, especially because this was kind of like a fresh, like new and unconditioned term for me that would sort of ping or like remind me to like really enter into the present moment. And so I had like a lot of very clear and lucid moments in it. And that was really Really pleasant too uh, along with that along with the lucidity um, and then also something kind of interesting though was I noticed that throughout the week the term clear comprehension started to become conditioned in <laughs> the same way that like mindfulness sort of has become conditioned over my life just because it's used so much in conversation and like a lot of meanings even though we collectively have a very similar definition for it and I sort of it was just interesting to find that like the term clear comprehension at the beginning of the week sort of immediately brought me into focus of the present moment and then by the end of the week it was like remember clear comprehension I'm like yeah yeah clear comprehension like you know definitely and I'd like maybe be present for a little bit but it wasn't like drawing me in as much as it did at the beginning and I was just really curious just to observe that even, how, how the words changed for me over time and what it provoked. Yeah, that's an interesting observation. So it seems like it became a little bit habituated for you or it changed into a, a concept that you could then just relate to the concept instead of actually having it evoke something in your experience. A very just, articulate way of putting it, yeah. Yeah, that's I wanted to clarify exactly. a little bit that the word conditioned, everything is conditioned, that we, mm. except for the unconditioned, which is Nibbana. Um, and so it's, um, it was just as conditioned at the beginning of the week as later, but your relation to it, um, so I knew what you meant by the word conditioned. I'm just um, uh, changing the vocabulary since that has a more, a more technical meaning in Buddhism. 
but I get what you're pointing to. And that is the way it is with our minds is that we, sometimes we have to continually kind of um, bring fresh things to them. Now that of course is a habit also of the mind moving to the concept instead of the actual experience. That's just a tendency of what we tend to do. So we can play games with it and try to bring in new words and so forth. But once you start seeing that that's what your mind does, you'll be less subject of course, to that particular habit also. Yeah, I think just even you, even you saying, oh, you're drawn towards the concept, not the experience, even having that sort of helps me like, oh, yeah, now I can note what that experience is and instead of kind of sinking into it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, Kim, it's Sajata. Yeah. I'm sorry if I didn't see your hand earlier, no, but yes, sorry, please I just jump in. Um, I was uh, good about mindfulness this week and um, one of the, you know, I try to practice body feelings than, you know, mental states. So it was interesting that as I was going on watching um, the thoughts that are, arose and I was mindful about them in either labeling or just noticing what they were. And then uh, in the middle of the day, um, I was for some reason anxious and I then noted my mental state. And it was very revealing to me because then I had labeled those thoughts before and I said, saw how one led to another and resulted in this particular state. So I was able to walk myself back to how I ended up here in awareness of that uh, particular mental state. Um, and just recognizing how I ended up with that feeling helped me kind of let go of it because then I saw, okay, this led to this, led to this. And so um, nice. that was interesting for me to kind of decipher for myself. Yeah, so it's a little mini lesson in dependent arising, how things come together like that. That's great. And it does help to let go when we see that. Elisa, did you have something? Sorry, I do this Zoom on two devices, different devices, and I get confused as to where things are. Okay. So, um, um, yeah, so, um, when I was sitting and paying attention to changing of the breath and the, you know, the beginning of the beginning and the early beginning of the beginning and breaking it, it sort of became, um, you know, there was almost like a pull to, to make it analytical. You know, it was like the part that my part of my mind that is analytical to think, Oh, here's the beginning of the beginning. So it was sort of different from watching, you know, like watching the changing sounds, noticing changing sounds, which I can't predict what's going to happen, but, you know, watching the breath sort of move through my body in a certain kind of pattern. And um, so I kept, you know, trying to just sort of, I guess the image of the child on the beach, just sort of watching it, but it was kind of a, you know, kind of back and forth sort of within yeah. me in that sort of making it an analytical task. Um, which I enjoy, you know, so. Of course, yeah. So, <laughs> well, so though, so that's interesting. And I, I'm glad you um, noticed that and, point, and brought it up because it, it is sometimes the case, um, like all those things about the beginning and the beginning and the, so forth, that was just intended to keep the attention a little bit more um, constant. Um, but it can be that the mind gets um, into the words and, and, you know, when the words are there, then you start saying, okay, 
is this the beginning, right at the beginning of the beginning? And then when does it change to the middle of the beginning? And, you know, not that you said you were going through a whole lot of thought, but the words sounded like they were getting a little entangled for you compared to just having the experience. And that's just something about um, the mind. I actually never use mental noting myself, even though I teach it sometimes, because I have that problem is that I, when I start mentally noting things, it's the, uh, the, the language part of the mind is a little too strong for that. And so it's easier for me just to connect into the body. Um, but there are people for whom the body's kind of vague or they're not well connected to it and the words really keep them in the present moment. So it's hard to know. So the point is to get to that more direct experience like we talked about in the very first class. So if for you the, the images or the uh, works better for that, then that's the way to do it in your meditation. It wasn't exactly the words, you know, sort of figuring out beginning of the beginning um, so much as sort of the feeling, oh, this, this is happening now, this is happening, and sort of watching the stages kind of repeat themselves. Okay, yeah. It was, yeah. But you had yeah. a little too much mind in there at some point. I think so, like, yeah. 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 If the mind, it depends on the state of the mind. You know, if the mind is really distracted, mm -hmm. that can actually bring it right into the present moment, give it something useful to do, can be great. Um, but if it starts feeling a little heavy or clumsy, then you just drop it and do, you know, whatever feels more, more connected in the moment. That's good. Okay, well, let's, um, let's go on then. Um, last time we talked about, so we talked about the clear comprehension and the Dharma investigation, investigation of states last time. And... Um, clear comprehension works both in daily life and on the cushion, as we've also just talked about. And so um, uh, we also found that investigation is not only intellectual, it includes also the body and the mind, uh, along with our experience of what's being investigated. That was a little exercise that we did last time. So today um, we're going to talk about how investigation can be made even sharper. Um, so if we calm down and gather the mind a little bit more, then um, it's like that stable foundation. I think I mentioned this image last time even, that if we're on a ship and we look through a telescope, there's a little bit of you know, jostling on the waves. Whereas if we stand on the dry land and look through the telescope, it's gonna be much more stable. And even if we put the telescope on a tripod, it'll be even more stable. So the idea is to get the mind in a more stable position so that when we look, when we do the investigation, we can see more clearly, more finely. It's like getting better glasses and to, to have a look at what we're at our experience. So the two qualities that I want to just give an overview of for now are um, tranquility and the word that's usually translated as concentration, but I'll say why that's not quite right. So, so it's samadhi, or why that's not the whole story. So tranquility and samadhi. Tranquility, uh, or pasadi in Pali, is a state that's um, related to, uh, to calm and to ease. In, and it's said to have two components, the body and the mind also. Um, it's compared in terms of images to the experience of someone who has uh, walked for a long time and they've gotten hot and tired and uh, plodding along in the sun and then they sit down under a tree in the shade and it feels ah so nice to sit down or about um, if a place if the if it's really hot and then a sudden cool downpour 
comes, um, there's also a sense of, ah, you know, it cuts through the heat and um, there's that sense of, ah, that's the feeling of tranquility. So um, this is a good thing in meditation when the mind really settles down, is at ease, is just really almost just enjoying experience. But I have to add to that that modern people tend to have some doubts about tranquility. And so I want to name that and just see if that might be present in your mind. It is truly not the most popular mental quality in terms of um, what people feel that they ought to be developing more of in their lives. It's often seen in specifically as being opposed to compassionate action, opposed to seeking justice, opposed to having a passion for life, having vitality and excitement. Um, or on a more personal level, people feel that if, if their mind becomes tranquil, then they will um, they'll be passive. They'll be unable to compete. They'll maybe be unable to secure a livelihood in the world. Uh, how many job descriptions say that they're looking for somebody who's calm? compared to job descriptions that say they're looking for a dynamic, passionate person with a lot of drive. You, you just read these, right? It's like, what's, what's emphasized in our culture? So it's not obvious to people that they want to be tranquil. Um, a lot of this is based on a wrong impression of what tranquility is. We tend to think of, you know, tranquilizer darts and wild animals. I don't know how many of you used to watch Wild Kingdom when you were younger. <laughs> is that still on anymore? Uh, so that, you know, they would um, tranquilize these wild animals so they could measure things on them and stuff. Um, or the way we think about people kind of lazing around. Uh, but actually, tranquility is, um, is enlivening. It, as a, when especially as a factor of awakening, it's a, um, actually quite a, um, I don't want to say dynamic, but it is certainly an enlivening quality. And in fact, we'll see later that it arises out of energy and joy. Those are the precursors to tranquility, which most people are surprised by, but that's how it is in the Buddhist teachings. Uh, I found this lovely quote from Indira Gandhi that I think captures it nicely. She said, we must learn to be still in the midst of activity and to be vibrantly alive in repose. And I think those, that balance nicely captures what is meant by tranquility in, the, in, in mental development. So how do we develop tranquility? It's actually developed through clear comprehension and investigation. Those are, the, those are some of the qualities that really lead us to it. We can get, um, uh, one way one way in is to um, real, to start investigating what prevents calm and what prevents ease and tranquility in our mind, um, and also get familiar with the feeling of non tranquility, which we may have a lot of experience with. So feelings of agitation or anxiety or uh, excess energy, restlessness of some kind. Um, when we feel what that's like in the body, instead of usually that's an uncomfortable feeling to be restless, to be agitated is, is, is uncomfortable. And so uh, what we tend to do is dissipate that energy through action of some kind. So we go and do something or we call somebody or we eat something or we get on the internet, um, something, talk. So it's, um, uh, and that relieves some of that, but it's only temporary because you haven't really, you know, met it. And so if we can learn to stay with feelings of non-tranquility, 
will the mind will start to see what that is in the body. Is it a feeling in the belly? Is it a tightness in the shoulders? Uh, is it a feeling of energy moving around? And so um, when we know what that is, it becomes a lot easier to meet it and find some way to soften it or allow it to move through. Because it's actually, it is an unpleasant feeling for the most part. Maybe slightly pleasant sometimes, um, but uh, mostly it's uncomfortable or being a little bit itchy. <laughs> and so um, if we allow ourselves to actually feel that slight discomfort, uh, the mind will find a way out of it. That's kind of how it works. Um, we actually like to be calm more than we more than we want to doubt it, even if we have some doubt about it. So there's this nice quote from the Dhammapada, hard to hold down, nimble, alighting where it likes the mind. Its taming is good. The mind well tamed brings ease. So there's a sense of, you know, when we allow the mind to settle a bit, to not, um, not be zipping from here to there all the time, then we can reach that ease. And, you know, I talked about having doubts about it, but of course, um, many people would like this and also don't experience much of it, especially if we're heavy thinking types and are thinking a lot. So um, we do need to find ways to address that kind of, of thinking. And to the cultivation of samadhi, the next um, factor I want to talk about is uh, important in that. So samadhi is composure or stability of mind. I think those are both pretty good translations. It's sometimes translated, often translated as concentration, but this in, in the modern mind, this gets misinterpreted sometimes as kind of a severe bearing down kind of focus. And that's not actually uh, the path to cultivating concentration or samadhi. Um, so it's really that we have this tranquility, some degree of ease or calm, which doesn't have to be that focused particularly. And then we kind of take that and gather, gather the mind so that it's aligned. The word concentration actually means having the same center, concentric, like concentric circles. So it's that everything in the mind is centered around the same theme doesn't have to be all tightly concentrated there, but it's all centered around the same theme. So in particular, um, the body, maybe you're concentrating or finding samadhi through the breath. So the body is feeling the breath. You know, there's a sense of connected to that in the body. Uh, the intention is to stay with the breath. Um, if we're having any uh, feelings or emotions, we might be noticing the quality of the breath, feels kind of pleasant, feels soft, or it feels a little tight, but kind of tuned into the feeling sensation of the breath. Uh, and if we're having thoughts, uh, we could even be thinking about the breath. If that hasn't settled out yet, we could be you know, thinking beginning, middle, end, or we could be noticing um, the fact that our breath is long or short. You know, these kinds of, or even our cognitive capacity is somehow related to the breath. And that is pretty good. That's a gathering together around one theme. That's the beginning of samadhi, even if you're not in, you know, deep concentration that we imagine of meditation masters. 
Samadhi starts with this gathering up. Um, we do need to release the five hindrances in order to have Samadhi. And the five hindrances being sensual desire, ill will, restlessness and remorse, sloth and torpor, and doubt. So those have to at first be reduced and then they'll eventually fall away. Um, but this is when the mind starts really becoming stable enough to see clearly, which is what we need in meditation. We need to be able to see. That's what we're doing. The point is not actually to just calm, get calm and, and sit there. It's to get calm so that the mind is stable, so that you've got that foundation, and then you look through your telescope uh, to see. You look more carefully at what's going on. Um, so the mind, yeah, when the mind gathers somewhat, it is able to do insight meditation, able to do vipassana, and will be able to have insight into the general qualities of experience, as well as the natural laws that operate in the mind. So um, to whatever degree we've experienced samadhi, whether just a gathering of the mind around one theme like the breath, or if you've even done jhana practice, which is you know, strongly focused attention with no hindrances present, an altered state that we get, can get into, um, we can notice, that's what I want to point out here, is that samadhi, the experience of samadhi in the mind, is really different from surface level thought. It is a fundamentally different way that the mind operates. It's, it's deeply peaceful and highly attentive. And the mind is really right there, or even just when it's gathered around one thing, you don't have a sense of it being everywhere. Um, there's no following of a trail of thought because the trail of thought inevitably leads away from whatever object it is that we've chosen. Um, we have strong awareness, we have clear knowing, but we're not following anything along. We're just there. And so there's a, a feeling of fullness uh, to the mind and the heart and the body, if you're using the body, um, that actually surface level thought would be disturbing to. You know, if we, when we do fall into surface level thought, of course, a lot while we're developing samadhi, and I don't want to over idealize, it's not a state of, not at least initially, a state of, you know, total non thought, the, the thing that we're. Some people falsely try to get to of that state without thought. But nonetheless, um, it becomes very clear that when the mind goes into some surface level thinking, uh, it's very different from samadhi. There are, of course, more subtle layers of thinking uh, that we can start to get familiar with. So this starts to wean the mind off of the idea, especially the analytical mind, off of the idea that it has to be thinking in order to relate to experience. There are whole realms of experience that do not involve surface level thought. And they're very rich, very full, uh, vibrant, happy. <laughs> so this is really good. And we start to realize that uh, the thought is less necessary than we thought. We can uh, cultivate some degree of samadhi. We also get to start investigating the multi-layered nature of thought. So we, we tend to think of thought as just one thing, mind's thinking or it's not thinking or something. But actually thought is um, extends throughout the mind in all different ways. There's thought that is, um, it has energy, it has shape, it has structure, 
So there's thought that's sticky and thought that's not so sticky. And there's surface thoughts and thoughts that are deep and there are thoughts that are very, very subtle, but they're still essentially thoughts. Uh, little movements of the mind, little ripples of uh, applying something from the past, um, little things in, that we would still probably call something like thought, um, but not anything like thinking about tomorrow. That, that becomes so gross, so coarse. Uh, so it's important to start familiarizing yourself through meditation with all the different kinds of thought. And cultivating samadhi is a good way to start to, to see that so that you have a little bit more nuanced understanding of the conceptual cognitive part of the mind. There's even a sutta that gives a hierarchy of thought. <laughs> um, surface, so the surface level thoughts are sensual thoughts, thoughts of ill will and thoughts of harming. Those are considered the, the sort of the gross ones. Then there are more subtle ones, thoughts about relations, your country and your reputation. And then there are very fine thoughts that are thoughts about the Dharma. And even, you know, even when we're cultivating samadhi, even aiming for jhana, for example, um, along the way, we have to think about, are the hindrances gone? Have I, do I see the factors of jhana starting to arise? So there are little thoughts coming in, kind of checking, uh, fall off the object, think, oh, here's the object again. And then we start thinking about, oh, let's see, so the mind, well, look at that. It's got, um, you know, it's really getting some tranquility in it now. So we're, and that reminds me of that sutta about the goldsmith where we refine the mind so that it gets more and more jhana-like. So you start thinking about teaching suttas, something that your teacher said floats into your mind, something from a book. Um, these are still thoughts, but they're helpful. They're supportive. Maybe they're even part of this gathering up process. So um, we can sort of even if we're not ready to give up thought, we're not in the, you know, the jhana state or something, we can aim to direct our mind down these to more quiet, more subtle, more refined kinds of thoughts. So you might try this in your meditation is to um, allow the mind to stop thinking so much about that conversation. You can think more about, you know, how's my sila? How's my ethics doing? And then and that's the reputation part. And then a little bit more about oh, what teaching is relevant to how my mind is right now. So we start to see also in meditation that there's a difference between thinking, as in following a trail of getting from here to there logic, and what um, my teacher has called thoughting, which is just the momentary arising of a cognitive event. So thinking, getting involved, doing, actually going along, and thoughting, a thought comes and then it goes like a cloud in the sky. And that's a very different experience when we're just mostly aware, but sometimes a thought comes in and then goes out. That's a, actually a fine state to be in. If you get to that state, don't worry about those thoughts coming in and out. Um, don't worry about getting a thought-free state. If you're just in the realm of thoughting and not thinking, it's fine. It's probably fine. You just rest. Um, so that was a lot of thoughts to throw at you about tranquility and samadhi. Um, so I wanted us to do some some meditation, unless there are any kind of quick questions at this point. Okay, good. I might have a quick quick one for you. Okay, yeah, go ahead, Scott. Um, 
Hi, happy to be here. Sorry for being late. I had some trouble with the Zoom link. Um, the, um, the thing that comes to mind when you're talking about the thoughting popping up is an experience that I sort of experienced actually last night, um, not on the cushion, but okay. just like I've noticed when, um, and maybe you can tell me if this is, is sort of what you were talking about or not, but sort of after nine o'clock, I know that like there's no good cognitive high level stuff that happens for me like ever. My brain is just too tired at that point in the day. Um, and I sort of noticed last night as I was like bumbling around my house trying to make myself go to bed that like I would see sort of a thought arise and then like it was very fleeting and it would go away. And I would see sort of a thought arise and it was very fleeting and it would go away. And I felt it was more to the sense of like, I'm just like tired now and like mm -hmm. my capacity for concentration is very low um, and less so, but it was interesting to like see the, see the clouds arise and pass away, pass away um, in the absence of just like concentration for, it. I don't know. It was just this weird experience that seemed oddly similar. That's interesting. Um, I have had experiences like that. Uh, did you feel like your mind was pretty present um, before and after the thought arising and passing? Yeah, I very clearly saw the sort of delineation of each little disparate thought, you know, kind of coming yeah. and going. It was weird. Yeah. So your mind just didn't have the energy to engage with those thoughts. So this yeah. is interesting information for you about how you normally relate to thoughts. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't uh, recommend getting really tired in order to be able to meditate well without thinking too much. But it does say, um, maybe, this is just my interpretation, is that you put, um, you drain away a lot of energy in your thinking, through your thinking. And it is actually possible to think uh, effectively without getting tired. You will eventually get tired. Even the Buddha has, there's a sutta where the Buddha says, even if I thought good thoughts all day, uh, I would get tired. And so he does acknowledge that thinking is, is tiring. So I think you're, what you're seeing maybe is a, a, a nice little band where you're not engaging with the thoughts in a way that uh, grabs onto them and engages them and gets you distracted and tired also. And one where you're really, um, you know, actually dull and not able to meditate at all. There seems to be some middle zone there where you can uh, stay present enough, but you don't take the energy to engage with the thoughts. So what, what might be interesting is to see if you could get to a calm enough state in meditation, even when you're fully awake, you know, in your morning meditation or whatever, where you don't need to engage with the thoughts. Yeah. 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 It's an interesting, I'm glad you noticed that because it is an interesting state and that is something like thoughting, at least, yeah, it can be. Yeah. Just arise and pass and know the thought. Actually, in very deep concentration, there can be a state where, and this is when the mind is really uh, quite in samadhi, is that there can be a feeling that a thought is arising starting to come up toward the surface and it never breaks the surface and it just goes back down and you will never know what that thought was <laughs> might have been the one that's going to save the world but given the track record probably not <laughs> of how many thoughts i've had in my life so it's very interesting and you know sometimes there's a vague thought of oh, what was that but <laughs> it's uh then you think nope much better just to be resting <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. So let's um let's get ready to to meditate. So finding a posture that's upright and also relaxed, and allowing yourself to 
feel the body sitting in straight posture that's not tight, but is alert. And then maybe um, feeling where you're contacting the chair or the cushion so that you can settle into that. Allow your weight to be held up. Soften into the contact with the seat. Sometimes it's even helpful to rock back and forth a little bit or forward and back and really find the center point of where you're sitting. So the body feels as balanced as it can, not too much effort to hold yourself up. And this meditation will intend toward gathering the mind around the experience of the sensations of breathing. So beginning by softening the body, softening around the head area, the eyes. Down through the shoulders, the arms and hands. Releasing any tension that, that can let go there. And softening down through the torso, the heart, the lungs. Releasing the diaphragm. Letting the belly be soft. And letting go of any bracing in the legs, softening down all the way through the feet. Maybe on each out breath, softening the body a bit more. And allowing yourself to connect in with the sensations of breathing. A whole series of simple elemental sensations. Direct in the body. You may just notice how the breath is right now. 
just observing if it's long or short, deep or shallow. Doesn't need to be any particular way. Just right now, how does it manifest for you? Allow the mind to be somewhat broad at the beginning. So even sensing the breath in the whole body. The body that we just softened. So allowing the breath to flow as easily as it can through the whole body. A little bit of imagination. Imagine the energy of the breath in the body. It's fine if there's thinking going on in the mind, but we might just imagine that the thinking could be a little bit quieter. Turning down the volume a little bit, putting the breath and the body more in the foreground and thinking more in the background. And if some thoughts are noisier and some are a little bit quieter, softer thoughts, we put more attention on the softer ones. Breathing in and out and encouraging a sense of calm in the body. There's no way to calm the body by trying to make it calm. So it's just a, an inclination and allowing, allowing any energy to settle out or at least just to be at ease with whatever energy is there. Keeping the mind alert. Calm is not the same as dullness.
And checking in also with the, the heart and the emotional state so that we know what mood we're in, what might be present. These are all fine too, how the mind and heart are. But again, we put that a little more on the back burner, just letting it be there along with the breath and the body. If there are recurring discursive thoughts, something that we feel like we need to think about, it's okay to tell that part of the mind that you will definitely get back to it later. But simply that for now, we're meditating. Give it some assurance that it will get attention, but not now. Allowing the sense of the breath coming in and going out to bring a gentle ease to the body, like a massage on the inside. Even in the mind, there can be a sense of flow Flowing in, flowing out with the breath, washing over the thoughts and the emotions that are there and settling and unifying the mind and the body and the heart.
there's any sense of ease or joy associated with the breathing. You can consciously include that in the mindfulness of breathing so that the affective tone of what we're doing is gathered around the breath. The main feelings we feel are the ones associated with breathing. Aiming the mind toward a sense of alignment between body, emotion, intention, and thought, all somehow related to the sensations of breathing. It doesn't need to be a narrow focus, just everything oriented around this one theme. can be helpful in cultivating samadhi to also notice the energy level of the mind. It 
the energy is too low, the mind, you'll fall asleep, the mind gets dull. Concentration is actually a fairly high energy state, but the energy is well gathered. If you feel pretty balanced right now, it's fine then. Just, just continuing to rest with the breath.
So I hope you're all gathered. Perhaps uh, having experienced some of the qualities of um, tranquility and samadhi, it's not easy to get into you know deep states of concentration from a short meditation, but it gives some of the flavor and hopefully some of the avenues that we can use to balance the mind. So I wanted to go on and to talk about um, a nice set of qualities that are called the seven factors of awakening. And we've started to uh, talk about some of them and maybe we've even touched on almost all of them at different times, but I want to gather them now up into a list um, because they're really supportive and they're qualities that come forth as the mind uh, lets go more into uh, allowing the Dharma to flow. You know, as it's when it gets yeah, more into Vipassana practice, they, the seven will come into fulfillment. So um, I'm just going to name them first in the sequence that they're listed. The uh, first is mindfulness. And so you know, it begins with uh, bringing the mind into the present moment in a balanced way. And then um, there are three of them that are associated with uh, increasing energy in the mind. And those are investigation of states, which is what we talked about last time as investigation. And I think I even mentioned then that it is one of the factors of awakening and then energy and then joy. So um, joy being one of the beautiful, positive, quali affective qualities that arises from concentration, but also just from mindfulness and from um, calming the mind, gathering the mind, even at a sort of an initial level. Um, and of course, it arises from investigation and energy also. These do operate as a sequence. That is one way that they can come about. So the mind comes into a state of brightness, of fullness. Um, and then interestingly, they, the, the factors of awakening then go into a set of three that's related to tranquilizing the mind, those being tranquility and concentration or samadhi, which we just talked about, those two. And then this, the last one is equanimity, so a, a balance of mind. And um, it's interesting that all seven of these become strong uh, as the mind develops through meditation, because you might say, well, how could you have strong equanimity and strong joy at the same time? And, and you can. It's actually, uh, that does happen. And I think I mentioned in the meditation that energy and concentration are actually both quite strong. But the concentrated mind is not um, really, really kind of, it is very tranquil, but it's not a low energy, uh, sort of dull kind of tranquil state. That was what I mentioned during, uh, when talking about it, how people have doubts about tranquility, they think their mind will just be passive and kind of, you know, not very responsive and, you know, not willing to, you know, make any movements or put out any energy. But actually, concentration is a highly energized state, very vital, vitalized, focused, um, comes out of the, the tranquility that we can cultivate. So um, what I wanted to point out, uh, I'm going to share the screen, is um, 
uh, that, there's a lovely sutta that talks about how these seven factors of awakening arise out of skillful thought. So that's something that sometimes people find surprising. So for here's this sutta, um, SN 46.3, for those of you who know references, cultivation of the seven factors of awakening by beginning with thought, we could say skillful thought. Um, it goes like this, dwelling thus withdrawn, one recollects that Dhamma and thinks it over. Look at that, thinking about the Dharma. Remember, those are the most refined kind of thoughts that there are. So you think you're thinking something about the Dharma. On that occasion, the awakening factor of mindfulness is aroused. One develops the awakening factor of mindfulness. The awakening factor of mindfulness comes to fulfillment by development in one. The language is a little awkward, but it's a kind of saying that um, this quality of mindfulness can come about through a careful, aware recollection of the Dharma. So you can be pondering a Dharma theme of some kind, not you know heavy-duty analytic thought, but when it says dwelling withdrawn, that means you're withdrawn from sensual desires, from irritation, essentially from the five hindrances and maybe also physically secluded. So you might be sitting in meditation or sitting alone in your hut, something like that. So this is actually a way to cultivate mindfulness. And then it goes on, um, dwelling thus mindfully, one discriminates that Dhamma with wisdom. Here discrimination meaning you know, careful investigation, examines it, makes an investigation of it, on that occasion, the awakening factor of discrimination of states or investigation of states is aroused. Uh, and then has the other ones too. One develops the awakening factor of investigation of states. The awakening factor of investigation of states comes to fulfillment by development in one. So it's all the same um, sequence here. And then it goes on through all seven. You know, one who is uh, mindfully investigating will uh, have energy arise. And at that time, the awakening factor of energy is aroused. One develops the awakening factor of energy, etc. And then it goes through all seven uh, in a sequence. So I find it very interesting that uh, the Buddha lays out a pathway by which thinking about or recollecting and reflecting on, contemplating uh, the Dharma is a seed for cultivating all of the qualities that go to awakening. So um, you don't have to think that uh, you know, your thinking mind is the complete enemy. It can actually be, when skillfully used, the seed for um, going farther along the path. Now, as I mentioned earlier, when you, by the time you get to really having strong concentration, there's no discursive thought that would be uh, not would not work in that state. Um, but there is a, a way in which um, skillful thinking can then lead into these states that are not so related to, to thought itself. Um, so yeah, so notice that we're now gathering up a lot of the qualities that we've talked about so far. Uh, the way we, we talked about um, various nourishments to the path, like um, the warm-hearted qualities. I talked about metta, but we could subsume some of that into joy, you know, the warmth and the um, vitality and the sweetness of joy is a necessary step 
along the path as a nourishment. We have the skillful thought leading to mindfulness. We talked about mindfulness and clear comprehension. We have the investigation of states, um, the, the, the fact that we're looking carefully at experience. And then we have on the calming side, we have the tranquility and the concentration so that the mind is gathered and energized so that it can really see clearly. And then the equanimity is, an, is described in an interesting way in the commentaries. It's described as equanimity about whether the mind is concentrated or not. <laughs> I think there's more to it than that, but that is one way it's described. So there's a sense that the mind comes into extreme balance and that it's, it's actually okay with whether it's focused or not. Um, and it has all these strong um, heart qualities, investigative qualities, as well as tranquility. And that is the kind of mind that's gonna have uh, liberating insight, be able to see how experience works what causes suffering and, and what its cessation is. So that's it. That's the whole path. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But it's um. So we. Uh, I want to stop there and see if that overview um, sparks any questions or comments. So I'm gonna um, I'm gonna put in the chat uh, the factors of awakening. I didn't write them out earlier. This will just take me a moment because I want you guys to look at them um, and consider um, which ones, one or ones, maybe seem the most um, familiar to you or the one that you think are strong for you already and which one when you look at those seven do you think hmm i don't think i know so much about that one just think about your own practice or maybe even how your mind is now um i'm seeing if this works oh okay yeah okay so let's see most familiar I'm creating a little poll. Um, never done this before, so that's kind of why I'm trying it. Okay, there we go. So, which of these do you think is the most familiar? I won't be able to see who, uh, who does which. Yeah, okay. Let's see how many of you are there. Hi, Kim, it's Chris. It only allowed us to select one. I would have chosen two, just so you know. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I did say you could select one or two. Okay, 
that's good. So most of you have voted now. So look at that. Um, can you guys see the results of that also on the screen? No, you can't. Okay. So what we have is um, five mindfulness, five investigation, um, and two joy. And um, oh, of course, Leanna and Charles are limited. You can only put one for the two of you. That's why it says only 12 out of 13. Sorry about that. So, but look at that, out of the seven, we only had mindfulness, investigation, and joy. And the first two are the most popular. So that's interesting. Um, no, none on the tranquility side, tranquility, concentration, or equanimity, and also no energy. So that's kind of curious. Um, right, it's not too surprising in that we've all done, um, you know, curious, uh, that's fine. Oops, sorry. Oh, share results, there we go, I can do that. Okay, okay. So um, that took a little more time than I thought, but I was curious. Um, and then if I were to put, um, you know, which one is the least familiar, which one would you put there? This one you can just type into the chat. Joy, yeah, this one is gonna have your name on it, so that's a little bit different. You can see how different it feels. But you could write more than one. <laughs> Concentration, equanimity, joy, yeah, so these are the ones that weren't as common. Concentration, equanimity, tranquility. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised that we ended up with ones that were um, different from the ones that were the most popular for the most part. So it's, it's interesting to see that um, this tranquility side of the uh, kind of of the mind is a little bit less familiar and I, I, that may be really, I think that's where we start out is that we're more uh, agitated, energized, and we tend to feel like we want more ease and concentration. So um, Given that you've seen this list now of the seven and, and you know that both domains are important, it may be interesting to kind of balance your practice if you've done more work on investigation or mindfulness. Mindfulness, by the way, isn't either, is neither energizing nor tranquilizing. It's actually the one that can see which side you're on and can help to balance. It itself doesn't, isn't said to have either of those qualities. So, um, one thing you might do if you were one of the mindfulness folks is to use mindfulness to notice where in the mind there's remaining agitation and encourage some some things that are more on the tranquility side in order to have that balance uh, more toward the balance you don't have to work out which of the seven are exactly there at all times that can get a little bit complicated um, but just knowing whether the mind is balanced between being energized and being tranquil and knowing that Actually, both of those are good. <laughs> Sometimes people think, oh, there's so much energy, I need to just get rid of that energy. But actually, what you probably need to do is organize the energy so that it can be more gathered, more calm. Or if you're feeling calm, you might say, oh, I'm getting too sleepy. I should, you know, I should wake up. I should start thinking more or I should do meta practice or something to bring in some uh, some energy. Well, maybe not. Maybe maybe if the mind is dull, all you need to do is add enough energy. Add a little 
bit more interest into what it is that you're focusing on so that the mind has actual concentration supported by energy instead of dullness on the, on the calm side. So there are ways that we can start to play these off against each other so that they both get raised. These, part, these energizing and tranquilizing qualities are not actually opposed. It's, um, it's an important lesson in the Dharma. Um, okay, so I think we have time for a chance for you guys to talk with each other a little bit. I feel like I've been talking too much. This <laughs> I've been talking a lot because I had a lot of things to cover. But um, I'm going to put you into small groups to um, discuss among yourselves uh, which, how might you increase the particular area that you thought was not as familiar to you? Like where have you seen even snippets of it in your practice and therefore might be able to bring in more? Um, Pratipa points out that she has to leave, so um, that's okay. That's fine, thank you for coming. Um, so have a discussion among yourselves about um, how, yeah, how you could increase that which you're not so familiar with. And it'll just be, you know, five minutes or so of conversation and just make sure everybody has a chance to contribute. You'll be in groups of three people. Well, except for the one with Leanna and Charlie together. Okay, so um, I'm curious what ideas you had or thoughts you had about cultivating some of the qualities that were less familiar among the factors of awakening. Would anyone like to share anything that came up, Val? You're still muted. Oh, you weren't, okay. Yeah, I actually have a, a question about it. The thing that I have um, that, that, that jumps off the list that doesn't like particularly frequently come up for me is joy. And I wonder if you might speak to the difference between like joy in the sense versus pleasure. Um, because often I find like, you know, the, the physical act of meditating, I find pleasurable. Um, mm -hmm. But that's certainly not the point. It's just like that happened, you know, it's pleasurable to have all these other conditions arise, sort of a byproduct of the of the practice, um, but joy seems like it's something different than that. Yeah, so joy um, is a particular uh, quality of um, energetic interest that comes up in the body where, and it's, well, it's more in the mind actually, um, where the um, kind of the gathering, the beginning, the initial gathering and tranquility of the mind um, feels intensely pleasurable. It is a kind of pleasure um, because the mind is becoming less uh, distracted by thoughts and worries and more gross desires of various kinds. And that, the mind loves that. It actually is so happy to be um, settled on itself, to be um, involved only in the inner, more only in the, in the inner world. And so this quality PT is um, a sense of, it has different aspects to it. It can be kind of an effervescence. It can be a feeling of 
uh, expansion. It can be kind of little pings throughout the body. It's kind of specific about that. Um, and then there are other pleasurable qualities that are called more like happiness or other things that are a little more settled. But it's um, maybe the thing to notice is whether this pleasure that you feel, there's nothing wrong with feeling pleasure in meditation, and you're right, it's not the point, but it is actually necessary. It's necessary to have a positive feeling eventually in meditation, uh, is to check whether it seems like it's dependent on some kind of physical or sensual type experience. Um, like, for example, if if we settle down and, I don't know, we get we get into the feeling of relaxation in the muscles, um, like the muscle, a muscle that was tense in our shoulder finally releases and we feel some pleasure from that, that would not actually be the kind of joy that's pointed to. Or if the joy is coming more from an internal sense from the mind, you know, from um, just the experience of being more gathered, more settled, the, the discourse is actually distinguished between uh, what's called I don't know if you'll like the words worldly joy and unworldly joy or sensual and spiritual, something like that. And the kind that is uh, spiritual or unworldly, just meaning that it arises out of wholesomeness, essentially, that part, that one is said that it doesn't feed the root of greed. Whereas any kind of sensual pleasure that we're not mindful of feeds in some way our, uh, the root of continued greed in the mind. I don't know if you, uh, yeah, so that was more than you may have wanted. But in general, if you feel a pleasant feeling uh, arising that seems to be due to the fact that the mind is meditating, I think it's fine to open to that and allow it to spread in the body. If it has some unwholesome, you know, graspy kind of sensual pleasure in there somewhere, it'll get, it'll get filtered out eventually through mindfulness. Um, but yeah. But we want to be sure that we're including uh, some of those positive, happy feelings that come as a support, you know, as a nourishment for, for the heart to keep going on the path. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. It's an important point to start to distinguish the different kinds of pleasure that we experience. It's kind of funny. There's all these great aspects. The analytical types never go for the pleasure. There are people who come to meditation just, uh, I, never's too strong, but there are people who come to meditation seeking bliss. You know, it's like, how can I get blissed out? I'm trying to get that, you know, oneness kind of feeling, um, which I would temper in a different way. <laughs> but people who are more focused on the, the thinking and sometimes the critical mind, which, um, for, for those types in particular, the pleasure is so important, so wonderful. Jane, I saw your hand earlier. Um, it's also a little dark where you are. I think, I think my camera is, is blinking in and out, so it probably needs a little reboot. Yeah. Um, we know you're still there. <laughs> I... I uh, I don't remember my train of thought, sorry. <laughs> okay, no problem. Um, any other quick comments before I before we wrap up? I have a few, one more slide to show. Okay, so as usual, I have um, some suggestions if, if they're of interest for this week. 
So in meditation, um, practice this gathering uh, of getting the, and that doesn't mean this narrow focus, uh, you know, it's more like the inviting, like we did in the guided meditation of inviting the body, the emotions, the thoughts, and the intentions to all kind of gather and go roughly in the same direction. And then get a sense of what that feels like. You may feel uh, the joy that Scott alluded to. That's one of the outcomes of doing this. When the mind gets a little bit gathered. It feels really happy about that. And then in daily life, um, it's fine to just keep doing daily life mindfulness. But I, I wanted to see if, if you could play a little bit with that sutta quote that we had on the previous slide. So see if when you're doing normal thinking, like you sit down and say, oh, I need to think about what I'm going to get at the grocery store or what I'm going to make for dinner tomorrow. Um, consider whether or not uh, mindfulness is useful as an assistant to the to the thinking in some way, if um, the thinking can, yeah, can be made more present, more um, somehow more connected through um, having mindfulness present at the same time. Okay. Um, so I think we're essentially finished. I guess I haven't um, put the Donna link for a while, so I'll do that. There. Um, and just to wish you a really good week. It's um, We're coming up on the final session next week when we're going to get to talk about uh, wisdom as a unification of our heart and our mind. So it includes uh, cognitive qualities, wisdom can think, but it also includes the heart. Um, there's a, a warm-heartedness and a, a expansiveness that comes to uh, Dharma wisdom through not having any conflict anymore between our emotions, our thoughts, our, our body, our mind. Um, yeah, so kind of what wisdom is, is starting to touch into. And of course, um, uh, the goal, you know, Nibbana and how, um, how that can emerge from our practice. So at least, at least we'll try to point. <laughs> Maybe that's the best we can do. So thank you so much. It's always a delight to talk with all of you. And um, I wish you very well in your practice this week. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. Bye-bye. Thank you, Kim. Bye, everybody. Good night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.